Well, 2022 is off and running, right? You're so far, you're good so far on the second day, it's going to get here somewhere. So we got a few more days to go, right? And it's going to be a great year. I'm just confident of that. We ended last year. We gathered together and celebrated communion around the communion table Friday night. We just had an amazing time. And uh, even there, reminded again of the goodness of the Lord. And we, we prayed in the new year. And uh, here we are in 2022. If you've been around the church very long, you've been through this process of finding a new pastor more than once, right? You know, the reality is, in our country, the average pastor stays in a church about three years. And so there's this constant turnover. And in the history of our church, we've had at least one pastor 17 years, I remember. Another for 10, another for 5 or 6 that I'm familiar with. And so uh, we've avoided that three-year thing. But you've been through this process before, right? So Okay, someone say yes. Well, I've been through this process in a number of times from the other side of the table. Because I've been through this process not only as a member of the church, but I've been through this process, obviously, as a pastor. And it's kind of a fascinating journey. And this morning I want to kind of give you some perspective as we we look forward to 2022 as we anticipate the arrival of my friend Oscar who will be here next Sunday to to, uh, candidate and to present him to you. Uh, You'll find in your bulletin that little card, what I do with mine. Um, This this gives you kind of an outline of all of our plans, our planned events uh, next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. You'll want to come early. You'll want to get up early. Can you do that? Oh, that enthusiasm is staggering. I told my wife last night, next Sunday, next Sunday morning, a week from now, we got to get up about an hour earlier, make sure we're there plenty of time. So at 9 o'clock, we're going to gather in the classroom in the North Building. And in that hour, um, Oscar's going to tell his story, kind of introduce himself to us. We'll have a brief time for some Q&A. Um, he'll preach. And you'll see the rest of the schedule there. We've planned a couple of question and answer opportunities, chances to get acquainted. And uh, going forward, it's going to be a, a fun and very, very busy month. But I've been on the other side of this equation. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if I've ever really told you all my story. And I don't know how much... You guys got plenty of time, you don't have any heavy lunch plans, don't need to be anywhere until about 1 o'clock. But you know, I started out my pastoral ministry. Um, I was a sophomore at Biola going into my junior year in the summer of 1971. And... I was looking, prior to that, I'd been looking for ministry opportunity, working the Lord used me, I'm going to Biola, you know. And so I got involved in ministry with junior hires. And I was 21 years old in 1971, that's a lot of you, right? <laughs> and so I was teaching junior high boys, and John Salehammer was the director of our junior high program. Some of you who read a lot will recognize John's name, he's quite a scholar now. But John left our ministry in Long Beach to go to Dallas Seminary. And so when he left, there was this opening, this gap in our junior high ministry. And the pastors of the church asked me, because I was there already involved in teaching, if I would like to lead the junior high ministry. That's how I got started. And I did that for about three years. I finished my master's degree. And they wanted me to be full-time, and they asked me to take over all the Christian education stuff. And so, as I used to say, I I was responsible for everything from the cradle to the grave. And uh, so, over the time of nine years that I was there in Long Beach in the church I grew up in, they just kept giving me more and more stuff to do. And my last two years, I had the privilege of kind of filling the role like an executive pastor. Uh, Dave Hawking told me one day, he said, Roy, you're really the pastor, I just get to preach. Because I managed the staff, I managed the programs, I was in charge. I, I, it, was the, it was probably one of the most fun times of my life. It really, really was. But this church in Sacramento was looking for a pastor. And they started calling me, and I kept saying, no, no, no. Anyway, long story short, we wound up in Sacramento for five years and uh, served there. And uh, my friend David Seifert was pastoring down the valley in Modesto, and he kept asking me to come and work with him, and I kept saying, no, no, no. Um, 
And after about five years, he finally found the sweet spot in my life. And he said to me, I'd like you to come to Modesto, and I want to start a Bible Institute and train people for ministry. I want you to come and lead that and teach. And that, that's kind of what drew me away from uh, Sacramento to go to Modesto. And I was there about five years. And then the church in Laverne was looking for a pastor. And they came knocking on my door. And long story short, we went to Laverne. And so I've been on this journey for 50 years, right? On the other side of this whole process. And so I want to share some things with you this morning about kind of where we are as a church, where we are in this search process. And if you think back, we've been at this almost a year and a half, right? And some of you were thinking, how come it takes so long? Trust me, some churches take a lot longer. Um, I think one of the things that's helped us to relax and not be in a big hurry, that some churches get into a big hurry and make mistakes, one of the things that has helped us is in the providence of God, um, I was here to fill the pulpit, so there was some consistency, there wasn't this sense of pressure, we have to do something right away. And so that's been a good thing, I think, I hope. And so in August of 2020, can any of you remember back that far? Oh yeah. So in August of 2020, I began preaching, and for the last year and a half, we filled the pulpit. And we formed a search committee probably in about September, and brought together a group, and that search committee consisted of uh, four of our elders at the time, three of our elders rather, uh, Dave Goodwin, uh, Tim Lansing, and myself. Tim was asked to chair the committee. By the way, Tim has done a fabulous, phenomenal, unbelievable job leading this team. He really, really has. So we added to that group of the three elders our three deacons, Eddie Morales, Beck Gonzalez, and Victor Pierce. And of course, this last year, we've asked Eddie and Beth to become elders, and so they've continued to serve on the search committee. Alongside of that group, we added Tracy Lansing and our drummer, our missing drummer, uh, Matthew Pinsuegra. That's been our search team. We formed that in September and began the process of kind of determining where do we go now? We got this group together. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And one of the things we decided early was, let's ask for help. There are people who specialize in helping churches during these kind of times. Let's ask for help. And so we interviewed our friend Ed Short, who serves with CE National, now Momentum Ministry Partners. And we interviewed Ed Short, talked with him, felt really good about that. And then we talked with our friends at Assist Church Expansion about their ministry, how they could help us. And so our search committee kind of wrestled with that. The first time we voted, it was kind of a split house. We had, I think, out of the eight of us, Three kind of favored uh, Ed Short. The other five of us were favoring uh, Assist. Anyway, we negotiated through that, talked through that, came to a consensus, and asked Assist to help us. If you remember in January, my friend Nathan Bryant from Assist came and, and spoke. And uh, we voted in January as a congregation, we voted to ask Assist to partner with us and to help us in this process. Anybody remember that? That was a long time ago. That was a year ago. And so we began the process then with assist of determining what kind of guy are we looking for, what are the parameters we're looking for, and I think it was about March that they posted the job opening at uh, several seminary websites, um, a couple other places that I probably don't remember. Uh, they posted on our, our fellowship website for all of our Karis Fellowship Grace Brethren churches in the country. Uh, they posted at a very popular um, website called churchstaffing.com. And they also posted, you've probably heard of indeed.com. You hear ads for them on the radio a lot. So they posted those jobs back in March. Was it that early, Tim? Okay, I'll go off the top of my head, so help me out here. And so, they started getting resumes. Uh, hundreds or more. And there was nobody in any of those resumes that was anywhere close to what we were looking for. Not in harmony theologically, not in harmony with kind of our grid of what we were asking God to provide. And that became kind of, a, I think, a frustrating time. The more we, longer we went, some of us got a little weary of that, you know, how come, why, and so on. And then I think it was in June, so that was March, April, May, June, um, Assist sent us 
resume for Oscar Chavez. Is it Chavez or Chavez? Chavez. I have to ask Oscar how he says it. If all you Chavez, Chavez people say it different, I never know. Um, I should know after knowing Oscar for 20 years, right? Oh well. Um, so they sent us his resume in uh, June-ish, I think. And so we began looking at his resume, and that became kind of the focus of our committee. We went through his resume, his history, his theological positions. Uh, there was a spiritual gift analysis, a bunch of that kind of stuff. Uh, we made phone calls to references that he provided us. Uh, one of the references was a, a secretary that he served with for a number of years. Uh, another reference, you all recognize the name Ed Trenner. Um, Ed had been a friend of Oscar's as well throughout these many years. And so we pursued all of that. And then, ooh, when did we first uh, have, we did a Zoom meeting with Oscar because of COVID and distance and whatever. And then we had a couple of personal meetings with the committee. Interview, questions, discussion. We've gone through this whole process, right? So on December 5th, our search committee voted unanimously to recommend Oscar to our elders. And on December 20th, our elders voted unanimously to recommend Oscar to our church family. So that's kind of a quick, as quick as I can do it, summary of where we've been, right? And so... What I want to share with you this morning, uh, I, my sermon title is How to Choose a Pastor. And there, there's going to be a lot of different wrinkles in this for different people with your life experience. But there's three ideas that I want you to kind of get your hands around this morning. And the first idea comes out of Acts chapter 20, if you'll turn there with me. Because I'm convinced that it is God who picks a pastor. That's big idea number one. God picks a pastor. God is in the business of preparing and choosing and placing men in ministry. And if we had about two hours, I could sit around a table with you with a cup of coffee or whatever and kind of tell you how that's played out in my life. It's just an amazing, amazing way. God picks a pastor. And so if you come to Acts chapter 20 with me this morning... Paul is on his way to Rome. Paul understands that he is not going to be able to visit churches any longer. He's going to Rome with the expectation that his life is coming to an end. And so as he is on board ship, headed to Rome, he wants to have a final kind of goodbye time with the elders that he's trained and prepared and equipped in the church at Ephesus. So in Acts chapter 20, Dr. Luke records for us Paul's uh, conversation with these men as they gather on the beach. And so I want to jump in at verse 28 as Paul is summarizing his ministry in their midst. He says to them, beginning in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And the big truth that's captured in these verses is this. The church of Jesus Christ belongs to who? To the Lord Jesus. The scripture says he's the chief shepherd. And so it's his church by the way, there's a fascinating little tidbit in this verse. Um, who purchased the church with his blood? What does your text say? It says, the church of God, which he, he's a pronoun, the pronoun points back to the last noun. So the word he, when it says he purchased with his own blood, points back to which noun? 
God. So if you ever get in a conversation with someone at your front door about whether Jesus is God or not, it was God who purchased the church with his whole blood. That's just a little extra tidbit here. The whole point of what I'm trying to say in this verse is, it says that it's the Holy Spirit who chose those overseers. The Holy Spirit. It's God who picks a pastor. And you've heard me say for a long time, um, I'm not the senior pastor. I refuse that, that label. Jesus is the senior pastor, right? <laughs> you know, um, he's the senior pastor. And he's in charge. And so my conviction is, it's God who chooses a pastor. And if that's true, then what's the logical question that follows that? So then how do we figure out who it is he's chosen? Ah, that's an excellent question. Because I believe God, not only does God choose a pastor, but God points us to his choice. God, does God want us to know who he's chosen? Duh. Does God want us to know what his plan is? Who he's chosen, who he wants to be our pastor? Absolutely. And so we've been saying for a year and a half, Lord, show us who you have chosen. Lord, show us who our next pastor is to be. And so, if you turn now to Acts chapter 13, another fascinating portion of Scripture. Saul of Tarsus has come to faith in Acts chapter 9, right? The road to Damascus, the Damascus Road experience. And Saul has been helped on his journey by a man by the name of Barnabas, that son of encouragement. And Barnabas has come alongside of Saul. He has stood with Saul before the, the apostles in Jerusalem and presented him and said, He's good to go. Don't be afraid. His faith is genuine. His faith is real. And so Barnabas has been mentoring and bringing Paul along. And so the church at Antioch is gathered in Acts chapter 13. And it tells us, as the chapter opens, that both Barnabas and Saul are part of this church. And notice how it begins. There were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets, teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with um, Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it's funny, I was reading this last week, I was reading this passage and kind of meditating on it, and I never really put it together before. There's something here that just ought to be abundantly obvious. The first name on this list of men is who? Barnabas. That's not surprising. But who's the last name on the list? Saul. And so, it's like, so, Saul is not yet Paul. He's not yet in charge. He's not yet the leader guy, right? He's one of this group, and he's, he's the last one on the list. So these men are all gathered. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, who spoke? God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. <laughs> so, who's, who's pointing out who's to be the leaders of this first missionary team that's going to be sent out? Who's the one pointing the way? Holy Spirit. And so God not only chooses, God not only picks who our pastor is going to be, He wants to point us to who that person is. It says, Then when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. And, and that great first missionary journey follows in the, the chapters that follow. God not only picks a pastor, He points the way. And as you look at this passage in Acts chapter 13, how does He do that? Any clues in these verses? What were they doing while they were hanging out? Worshiping, praying, and fasting. God responds to a church that is a praying church. 
God responds to a church that's a worshiping church. Because when our eyes are on Him and our focus is on Him and we're worshiping Him and praying and asking Him to lead and guide and direct, um, we're right in tune with what He wants to do, right? He wants to point us in the right direction. Are we paying attention? Are we listening? Are we, we responding? And so I've suggested that in, in my notes as I reflected on this, um, God reveals His choice to a submissive praying church. A second thought that impresses me in the scriptures is that God reveals His will to those who are investing energy in this book. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship service. And what's the next verse say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, God responds to a praying church. God responds to a worshiping church. God responds to a church where people are invested in the scriptures and pursuing His will. He wants us to know and do His will more than we want to, right? He really does. Much, much more than we want. And so, that's, that's how God's responding. Uh, he, leads, he leads through circumstances. Um, and you see that throughout the book of Acts in, in Paul's life. Uh, when, and I'll, let me just share this story quickly. I don't want to keep you here till one. But when I was in Long Beach, in the, in the latter uh, time in Long Beach, I had no plans to go anywhere. I could have been content to stay there the rest of my life. I, w- I, was, I was having just an awesome time. We had, a, we had a phenomenal pastoral staff, just great men who were great friends. Uh, some had been mentors of mine. I had no intention of ever leaving. You know, I, I could have stayed there until the rapture. I, I was just a happy, happy camper. And this church in Sacramento wanted me to come. Anyone remember the name Bob Thompson? My good friend Bob. He told them, you need a pastor. There's this guy in Long Beach. You need to call him. He will say no. Do not take no for an answer. Keep asking. And they did that. And so finally, to get him off my back, long story short, to get him off my back, I agreed to come up and spend the weekend and preach. I didn't want to go to Sacramento, had no interest in going to Sacramento. Andrea had no interest in going to Sacramento. Her family was in Long Beach. My family was in Long Beach. We had no need to go to that little cow town up in Northern California. And so we went and spent the weekend in Sacramento. I preached. It rained the whole entire weekend. Rain. Now, up until this last week, I would have had to ask you, you all know what rain is, right? But now we're all very familiar with rain. It, it rained so bad the whole weekend, I literally, honestly threw my shoes away when I got home. They were just dead. When we flew home Sunday night, my mindset was, this is over, it's done, I can go back to Long Beach, go back to what I was doing. Uh, the storm was so bad that Sunday night, our flight was canceled twice. We finally got on the plane. Our daughter was just a little more than three years old. It's the only time I've ever been on a plane where I saw people with paper bags in their hands. And so when we finally got home, got to bed, it was late, just, okay, we got Sacramento in the rearview mirror, we're done. So I got up, went to the church, I was in my office having my devotions and praying and I found myself planning my first series of sermons in Sacramento. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? I'm not going to Sacramento. And even if I wanted to go to Sacramento, there is no way on the top side of God's green earth that Andrea will ever want to leave Long Beach and go to Sacramento. Is it, you know, what are you doing? And so the Lord and I are having this conversation on, on the other half of my brain planning my first series of sermons. And I'm just going, oh no. My phone on my desk rings, and my secretary says, Andrea's on the phone. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So, picked up the phone. Andrea's 
asking me, so how are you, how are you feeling this morning? What are you thinking? And I said, well, I'm thinking maybe, maybe, got to couch it in the maybe terms. I said, I'm thinking maybe, maybe the Lord wants us to go to Sacramento. And I said, well, what do you think? And she said, I think he does too. The Lord totally changed our hearts and minds in that period of time. 180 degrees. God has a way of making his will known. The question is, are we pursuing his will? Are we seeking his will? Are we asking him for direction? You know, one of my two life verses that I, I cling to and love The one in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on what? Your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. I like to translate in all your ways be knowing Him. And He will direct your paths. God wants us to know and to do His will. We're all on that page, right? So God picks a pastor and then He wants to point us to discover who it is He's chosen. And we believe He's done that. The third thing that I want you to think about this morning is the thought that God provides the criteria for his choice. Where do we find guidance to choose a pastor? Where do we find guidance to choose those who will serve as elders and deacons in in the church? Where do we find information to help us do that? (laughs) It's all right here, right? It's all right here in this book. It's all right here. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, what Paul has given to us is a list of criteria, a list of guidelines. What kind of man should we be looking for? And so I've broken these down in in, uh, kind of four different categories this morning. Um, The first category is what I call general qualifications. And so if you have 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 open, you can kind of follow these two lists. I've tried to simplify it for you by printing those two passages on the back of the bulletin. So if that helps you to have both of the passages in front of your eyes at the same time, um, because your translation is going to not use all the same words that mine does, and we'll sort through that and figure that out. So I don't want to labor over this list, because I could spend like a month on this list if I could. But I want you just to get the big idea. Because as you continue to pray, this list becomes very important. This list ought to be on your prayer list. And so I have what I call general qualifications. And you can see this on the screen. Uh, Paul says, if anyone desires the office of a bishop, an overseer, an elder, a pastor, if that desire is there, Paul says it's a good thing. So, does this person have the desire? And it's it's been fascinating to me in 50 years of pastoral ministry. There have been men in the churches that I have pastored that I have asked if they would be willing to be considered to serve as elders or deacons. Who have said to me, no. And that's okay. Because if they don't have the desire that God has given to them, then they're not ready for that role, right? So it's important that they have that desire. I remember struggling with this. I think I've shared this story before. When I was still in high school, having made a decision at the age of 13 that I wanted to be a pastor, um, I was in high school struggling with, I have the desire, this is what I want to do with my life, this is where I'm headed, but how do I know this is what God wants, or this is just kind of Roy's thing? And I really wrestled and struggled with that a lot because that was a very strong desire in my life as a young teenager. My wife will tell you, it's not true, but she will tell you that when we first met, I introduced myself and said, my name's Roy, I'm going to be a pastor. I don't think that's true. Uh, But it could have been, I don't know. Uh, But so desire is on that list. Is this a desire? Um, The second uh, general qualification is that phrase above reproach. Some of the translations uh, use the word blameless here. And so I've included blameless, I think, in my description. Um, Blameless doesn't mean he's perfect, right? 
Oscar is not perfect. I know that's going to be a shock to you. We couldn't find something that was perfect. I'm not perfect. If you haven't figured that out after a year and a half, you really are asleep, okay? And so, the idea of being above reproach isn't that you're perfect. The idea of that word in the, in the Greek culture and how that word was used was that if you were brought into a court of law, you had been accused, and you were brought into a court of law to stand accused, the idea is there's no... It's back. There's, there's no evidence that can be brought into the court to convict you. You're not perfect, but you're blameless, above reproach. That's, that's, that's the idea of that word. Um, it, it uses the word just. There's a strong sense of, of right and wrong, not only in his own life, uh, but in his ministry and the life of others. That what, doing what is right, morally correct, that which is just, is important. Um, and I'm looking at the monitor instead of my notes, so I'm going to get lost here. Um, the fourth general qualification is that he has a good reputation in the community. That he pays his bills on time, he treats his neighbors right, that kind of stuff, right? Has a good reputation in the community. So those are what I call general qualifications. Um, the second list is what I call family qualifications, because the New Testament basically presents the idea that if a man doesn't manage his own household, his own family well, then how on earth can we expect him to know how to manage the church well, right? If he can't lead his family, then how do we know he can lead the church? And so Paul has these qualifications where he talks about children that are um, under control. They're not running wild. Uh, I remember when we went to Sacramento. I don't know if my wife remembers this. We were in Sacramento like one Sunday, maybe two. And one of the men in the church says, Now, Pastor, you don't worry about your kids. I'll take care of them during the service. Hey, those kids are my responsibility. You leave them alone. Um, And thankfully, my kids didn't run wild, so it wasn't too bad. Um, What a crack up. And so the pastor has his children under control. And then there's this qualification also that speaks of him being the husband of one wife. And so my conviction is that if a pastor is married, that qualification, literally the New Testament text says, a one-woman man. That he is devoted to the woman in his life. And if you're paying attention, I've already been asked this question by a couple of people that are perceptive beyond their years. So, it looks like Oscar's single. He is single. He has a 22-year-old son. In fact, Friday, I think, is John's birthday, if I remember right. Um... He has a 22-year-old son, and he is single, and he's divorced. And so one of the questions I would expect people to have that you're asking that would be at the top of your list, so are we okay with having a pastor that has a divorce in his background? Well, this was a question that our committee wrestled with and struggled with. That shouldn't surprise you, right? And uh, we had a lot of questions, and uh, in our interviews with Oscar, our conversations with him, What we sought to discover was, does his life experience, including his divorce, how does that square with what the scripture says? And if you're familiar at all with what the scripture says about divorce, um, Jesus talks about it in more than one time in the Gospels, if you read Matthew 19, Mark 5, places in the Gospels. And then Paul deals with the subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I don't have time to go through all of the passages. Um, we discussed them uh, at the search committee. Uh, we asked a lot of questions. It's our conviction as a search committee and elders, it's our conviction that Oscar's experience of divorce is in line with what the scriptures teach. And uh, there will be opportunity to ask questions um, You can ask for more details. We don't want to go into all kinds of details. But Jesus says that divorce... Two big ideas. He responded to the Pharisees about divorce. And he basically said this to them. You know, Moses gave you a certificate. You, You could give your wife a certificate of divorce. Why did Moses do that? What's the scripture say? Why did Moses do that? Because of what? The hardness of your heart. And that's why Jesus says, from the beginning it was not so. And so God's plan always, God's plan always, 
God's best, God's plan always, is that there would not be divorce. But Jesus also says, in the case of unfaithfulness, that divorce was permitted. And so it's our conviction that though Oscar is single, he's still qualified to serve our church as the pastor. Um, There are people who read that scripture and believe that pastors and elders and deacons must be married. And I understand that viewpoint. I I don't hold to that viewpoint. My conviction is that if they're married, this is the qualification. By the way, is it possible... There's a whole other sermon. You, you, you don't mind being here for one o'clock, actually. Um, is it possible for a pastor who's married to not fulfill the biblical qualification that Paul outlines in 1 Timothy 3? Is that possible? Absolutely. You can be married to one woman, but not be a one-woman man. In fact, if I read the statistics in our culture, if I read the statistics in our culture, the percentage of men, including married men, who are heavily addicted to pornography would fail that qualification. Follow? One woman man. And so, I believe, our search committee believes, our elders believe, that our pastor is a single man who's Divorce squares with biblical parameters. By the way, is it a challenge being a single pastor? Yeah, in some ways. Um, There's a guy in the New Testament. There's a guy in the New Testament who's pretty prominent. Um, He was an apostle. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And, by the way, he was single. I remember in our conversations as the search committee, talking about all this, and, and I was kind of struggling with the idea of a, of a single guy being a pastor, because kind of my, you know, my, my mindset. And I remember very well being very embarrassed when Dave Goodwin threw into our conversation, well, you know, the Apostle Paul was single. Oh, yeah. And Paul's admonition, by the way, as a single man, his admonition to others was what? If they weren't married, his admonition was what? Oh, yeah. Don't get married. Why not? <laughs> Why not get married? Why would Paul give that? Well, probably in that culture with persecution and such, that might be a wrinkle on it. But in Paul's mindset, he said, a guy who's single doesn't have the distraction of taking care of a wife and a family. and he, he can be very much more singly focused on the gospel and the ministry. And so, many people go through divorce, right? Some of you who are seated here are divorced. And that's, that's a hardship and a crisis in anybody's life. That's not a good experience. Ever. Ever. But the scriptures are pretty clear. God's best for all of us is to marry and and to remain married. And so, I don't want to belabor that point. I just know that's going to be a question. If you're paying attention, that's going to be a question. And um, I think when Oscar introduces himself next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, I think he will touch on this. Um, I don't know that it's fair to him to ask him to go into great detail. Um, we pushed him a little bit in our search committee to go into a little more detail to help us. Um, anyway, if you have further questions, I'd be happy to talk to you, talk to one of our elders, one of our search team. Um, anyway, um, so family qualifications, and then what I call the character qualifications. And there's this long list. I have 13 on this list. And we could be here all day talking about this list. Um, the quality of being temperate. Uh, he thinks clearly. He's alert to spiritual dangers. Paul charged those elders on the beach in Ephesus. You know, be on guard. Savage wolves are going to rise. They're going to attack. 
We need a pastor who's clear thinking and has a sense of what is... You know, the next word on my list is prudent. Thoughtful self-control. Good judgment. Wasn't one of our presidents famous for using that word prudent? One of the bushes. I can't remember which one. I heard him use that word prudent all the time. That wouldn't be prudent. Um, the next one on my list is respectable, orderly in his life. His ministry, he works toward accomplishing of goals. One of the things you're going to discover with my friend Oscar is he's a planner. And he has goals. And one of his challenges coming here is we're going to develop goals and plans together. And so he's going he's gonna to fit into that. He understands that. But he's a planner. I was on a bike ride Tuesday. And uh, started here on the river trail, went up and crossed over. And I was down in Long Beach about 1 o'clock at the corner bakery trying to find something to eat. I ordered my sandwich, got some coffee, sat down, and my phone rang. It's Oscar. And so he, he, we, he and I talked for about a half an hour while I ate my sandwich. Uh, we've had many phone conversations, by the way. Oscar and me, Tim and Oscar, Tim and me together with Oscar in the midst of all this. Um, asking questions, exploring different areas. And uh, one of the things I found fascinating that he and I were talking about last Tuesday, which would have been 27th, I think the 28th, so end of the month, and he, he's asking me about the plans for next year. And uh, <laughs> I was glad that that morning, uh, Tim and Lulu and I had laid out calendar for the whole year. And said, so we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do that. <laughs> And so we at least had the appearance that we plan ahead too. And uh, <clears throat> there's so much more that I want to say here. Um, the word hospitable, um, you know, open, friendly, welcoming, um, that very much describes Oscar. Uh, not addicted to wine, he avoids those in- intoxicating influences that blur judgment, harm testimony. Um, uh, another word is not rebellious, uh, controls impulses toward anger, uh, not pugnacious. Don't you love that word? I always love that word, pugnacious. Uh, don't like if I'm told I'm pugnacious, but that's another story. Uh, being pugnacious, he doesn't lash out. He's uncontentious. He doesn't engage in verbal or physical conflict. He's gentle, mild-mannered, uh, free from the love of money. Not motivated by selfish gain, uh, living to serve himself with, with things and stuff. Um, not self-will. is not arrogant. Doesn't think his way is always the best. You know, that's one of the challenges. Um, and especially in Oscar's case, he's been a pastor for 25 years, so he has 25 years of experience. And one of the challenges you have as you have more experience is you kind of have a tendency to think you know best because you've been around long, right? And so this quality of, of being able to flex and meld and blend with others. Um, I don't always know best. I don't always know what's right. And that's why I value, and I think Oscar values as well, we haven't talked down that road very far, but that's why I value what we have when our elders come together, have conversation, talk about issues, talk about where we're headed as a church, what are we going to do here, what are we going to do there, um, we always come to consensus together. We always come where it's not five voting one way and one voting the other way, because my conviction is if we're not all agreed, then the Lord has not led us to make a final decision yet. And one of the amazing things to me in my last year and a half of being a part of that group, um, we always are able to come to consensus. We can always come to a point where, okay, we agree this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. I don't always know best. And that's why we have the value of the godly men that God has placed in the role of of elders and deacons in our church. Um, Lover of good, pretty obvious. Uh, my translation uses the word devout. Uh, he lives according to spiritual values uh, that they have control in his life. So th- there's those character qualities. And if you're looking at this list, you're wondering, that went by really fast. If I wanted to take notes, I couldn't. 
If you would like my copy of what I've produced here, you can text me, email me. I'll be happy to send it to you. Uh, if a bunch of you want it, we can print it out. Whatever. Um, this is my best effort to look at these qualifications. The fourth kind of qualifications is what I call developmental. Um, if I could put another word here, I would say the list I just finished focuses on character. This final list focuses on competency. What kind of things do I want a pastor to be competent in? Or, more importantly, what does Paul say? Not what does Roy think. What does Paul say a pastor should be competent in? And this is what uh, he says. Um, He says, one, he's not a new convert. He's someone who has experience. He's someone who's been around. Someone who has a proven track record. One of the things we can look at with Oscar as he comes to us is he's been a pastor for 25 years. His church in Lancaster, where he's been serving for a number of years, had a big celebration last year celebrating his 25 years in ministry. The primary focus of Oscar's ministry, and you'll pick this up very quickly, I think, the primary focus of his ministry has been in starting new churches. So uh, he started a church in Canoga Park, he started the church in Lancaster, Palmdale, where he's currently. Uh, his mother went through a series of health crises several years ago, seven, eight years ago. I kind of lost track. Um, he was in South Carolina with his mom, helping care for her during those years. Planted a church in South Carolina. Uh, he's planted a church in Honduras. He's very actively engaged in helping new churches in Mexico, Ensenada, Tijuana. Um, a large part of his ministry focus has been starting new churches. One of the things that's exciting about that for me is, I believe God wants to use our church to plant other churches and reach more people for Jesus. So, so Oscar brings that experience to the table. He also brings the experience to the table of his 25 years of pastoral ministry. He also brings to that, that table of competency uh, the training of others. That's been a huge, huge part of his ministry. His church in Lancaster right now is basically led by three men that he's trained. One guy is the primary preaching pastor. One guy is a uh, kind of an executive administrator pastor type. And I forget what the third guy does. But Oscar is not the, the solo dude. He's trained these other guys and raised them up. And that's been his track record. He's training pastors in Mexico. He's trained in Ensenada and Tijuana. That's just been a huge, huge part of who he is. And that's going to continue here. Uh, he and I have talked about that quite a bit. Um, that's a large part of who he is. Not a new convert, somebody with experience. That's always wise. Um, a second thing that Paul says, he uses the, the expression able to teach. That he has the competency to study, understand, interpret, and communicate God's truth. We want a pastor that's competent to do that, right? Absolutely. And Paul says that's a qualification. And so we ask Oscar to come. He's going to preach twice. There's not a lot online. Uh, Victor found a message that Oscar did on YouTube that's in Spanish, so it didn't help me a whole lot when I found it. Um, But Victor listened to that in Spanish. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of things available. Um, He spoke here last May when I was back in uh, North Carolina visiting my son and his family. That's on... um, our YouTube channel, if you want to go back to last May. He'll be here two Sundays for you to to hear and observe and and respond to. One of the challenges, and this is just kind of a caution from my life experience, too often I fear that's the number one thing that churches look at. And it's important, right? It has high value, right? But my purpose of what I'm trying to share this morning is I'm hoping that we'll take the bigger picture. That we will see Oscar's competency as well as his character. Put it together. And so Paul says we want a, we want a man who is able to teach. And in uh, the Titus passage, he uses two phrases. Holding fast. Tenaciously defending God's word. Holding fast. And able to exhort and rebuke. That he's skilled in being able to convince people of truth, and he's skilled at being able to point out error. 
And so we're, we're asking God to bring us a pastor. We come with the conviction that he's the one that picks our pastor. He wants to point us to who that man is. And he wants to provide us with criteria to help us in this process of evaluation. That's what we've been up to for a year and a half, and that's brought us to this point. By the way, it is no small thing. I think I can say this after 50 years. It is no small thing to aspire to be a pastor. And as I say that, I'm reminded that James says, don't be in a hurry to be teachers. Don't pursue this with great passion. Understand that those who teach, those who preach, uh, put themselves under the microscope, microscope for, that's my paraphrase, Paul didn't say that. They put themselves under the microscope for greater judgment. It is no small thing to aspire to be a pastor. And so we believe God has picked our pastor. We believe he's pointed us to who he's chosen. And we believe that this list of criteria are providing us with some direction in doing that. So, all of this to say, we followed a a careful process with our search committee under the guidance of ASSIST. Um, we've, our search committee has carefully and prayerfully um, met with Oscar, examined him, spent a lot of time praying. I've encouraged you to pray for the last year and a half, and so I'm believing that you've been doing that. Um, our search team has agreed unanimously, our elders have agreed unanimously, and we'll be bringing Oscar here beginning next Sunday. And you have that card with the activities that are being planned. And so what do I want you to do? Ah, very good. Who said that? Number one on the list. What do I want you to do? Pray. Pray. So keep, keep praying. And if this list helps you to pray with, to have that list in front of you, um, do that. Uh, you got your Bible open, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Um, pray. Uh, That Acts 20 passage is huge in my mind. Uh, I want you to pray. Uh, Continue praying for our process. Continue praying for our candidate. There's a big question I'm expecting somebody to ask me after the service, and I'll be happy to answer that then. Um, Pray. The second thing I want you to do is participate in the process. Assist has done their job in evaluating, examining, and bringing Oscar to us. Our search committee and our elders have done their job the best they know how to unanimously agree and to say to you, here is the man God has chosen. We believe this. And so now we've laid out this process over the next three Sundays that we're asking you to participate in. That means you get up early next Sunday, right? Nine o'clock. First classroom. And you come and meet Oscar. Uh, come prayerfully ready to engage in listening as well as asking questions. There won't be a whole lot of time in that hour, but there'll be some. Um, participate faithfully here in the service as you listen to him preach. Um, take some notes. What are your thoughts? What are your observations? Do you have any questions? T- take notes. Participate in the process. Don't, don't sit back and not participate. By the way, since I'm saying this, um, our plan, we still have to kind of finalize how we're going to do this because it's kind of tricky. But our plan is to invite not only those who are official members of the church to participate in our final vote on the 23rd. Our intention is that those of you who are not yet members But if you consider Grace Norwalk to be your church home, this is your church family, if that's your conviction, we want you to participate. Okay? Somebody say, okay. Okay. Um, So I don't want you to sit back and say, well, I'm not a member. You know, that, that won't matter. 
Um, probably on our ballot, we'll have some way to kind of indicate. We've got, we got some things we're still sorting through. But I want everybody to participate. Pray, participate in the process. And then the third thing I want you to do is uh, prepare yourself for Sunday the 23rd, where we will be asking you to affirm Oscar as our new pastor. Prepare yourself to do that. By participating and by what, Beth? Praying. So, my challenge to you this morning is will you do that? Will you commit yourself this morning to pray, to participate in all the events and activities that we're planning? And then prepare yourself for that affirmation on the 23rd. That's where we're going this month. And it's going to be just an exciting journey. Um, I probably need to say this one more time. I've said it enough. I think I've said it more than enough. One of the questions you have and have had, and I've been asked multiple times, is why not Roy? Why isn't Roy going to stay and be the pastor? And there's several good reasons, I think, why I'm going to say no, I'm not going to be a candidate to do that. But the good news is, the man that we believe God is bringing to us very strongly, very firmly believes that he wants me to stay and work with him and help him. So I cannot say this any more strongly. I'm not going anywhere. I have no intention to go anywhere. I have no plan to go anywhere. None. I'll be here. Uh, when Oscar and I talked on Tuesday while I was in the middle of my bike ride, um, probably the longest we've talked on that topic. Because we've talked three other times, three times, Tim. You've been present those other times. All three of those times that Oscar and I have talked about me staying and working with him and helping him, all three of those times could probably be summed up in fewer than six or seven minutes total. But we spent a lot of time talking together on Tuesday about that. Um, Saturday evening, here's something for your prayer list, okay? Saturday evening, um, we are going to be meeting to discuss how can Roy best serve the church going forward? What's Roy's best role? So Tim and Oscar and I are going to meet and have that conversation. And then the three of us are going to meet with our elders and have that conversation. So my expectation is by this time next Sunday, I'll have a pretty good handle on kind of what Oscar wants and what I want and what I think will work best. Um, but I'm not going anywhere. You okay with that? Okay, because so I've been asked that way, way, way many, many times. So let's give praise to the Lord. Let me pray. And then Max and Maggie are going to come and lead us in a closing song. I've kept you way too long. I'm sorry, but... Hold on. <laughs> Lord, we affirm together this morning, this is your church. It's not mine. It's not ours. It's your church. I think you even sung about that earlier. We are yours and you are, you are mine. Uh, and so we just acknowledge that freely this morning. This is your church. You are our senior pastor. And so we continue to look to you. We continue to seek to follow you, to obey you. We're grateful for the way that you've led. We're grateful that you've opened the door of opportunity for, for Oscar to be available to come and uh, to serve you here. And uh, I just pray for all these events and activities that we've planned that uh, you would just allow us to get great clarity on your call, your purpose, your plan for us. And we look forward to, a, to an awesome 2022. We look forward to a great year of ministry. We look forward to a great year of spiritual growth. We look forward to a great year of uh, your Holy Spirit's ministry in our midst. And as we have chosen for our theme this year, those simple words come alive. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, work in such a way as to bring new life, new energy, new strength into each of our lives spiritually and into our church. Give us great vision for the future you have for us here in this community. That we might see men and women, boys and girls, coming to know Jesus as Savior. That we will see men and women, boys and girls, coming and being baptized and moving forward in their faith journey with you. Would you make this year, would you make this year the greatest year 
in the history of Grace Nolan. That's our prayer, that's our expectation, that's our hope as we continue to, to follow your lead. And so we're grateful. We're grateful for your goodness where we started an hour ago. We're grateful for your goodness. And we expect your goodness to continue to run after us all year long. And so we give you thanks together in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you would stand, and if you feel comfortable, you can grab the hand of somebody next to you. I don't think it was a mistake that Tracy said that she, um, at the very beginning, she said that she had to remember Jesus' death, right? Because that's our salvation. And a hundred, in 105 days, we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. 105 days. It's only been eight days since we celebrated his birth. Okay, and how many of you have already packed up your Christmas stuff, right? You're like moving on to the next thing. And how many days has it been since you were born? Or since you rejoiced in someone being born in your family? How many days? It's been a lot, right? And sometimes we forget the joy of birth. And I think unless we're a first responder, we forget the sorrow of death because it's far away from us, right? We're all here, we're, we're alive, we're feeling good, we're at church, but we forget what death is, right? And yet God says our lives are like this. We don't know the number of days that God, that He does, but we don't know the number of our days. We don't know when our day will be. And so every day that you live, thank God for all that He does for you. You're going to recognize the tune, just different words.
right. Well, thank you for your, your patience as I went a little over time. I got out of here before one, so it's all good, right? <laughs> you know, I think we have a meeting right after this. Uh, well, that's right. I forgot about that. We do have a, we need to approve the budget for the coming year. We'll meet. We're going to meet here or there? Don says over there. Yeah, so we'll meet right here in this first classroom and uh, present budget for next year. And real quick, real fast. Yeah, we're hoping real quick, real fast. Carol Ann's birthday's tomorrow, by the way. She might, might make a note of that. I don't think she made it this morning. I don't know. Is she back there? Happy birthday, Carol Ann. Uh, oh, she left. Okay, you missed it. Um, also, just a reminder in your bulletin, there's a note about year-end giving statements. Uh, there's a box back there, just before you go out the door on the right, that has all those file folders in it. I got mine earlier to avoid the, the rush. But your year-end giving statement is in your envelope there. Um, I've encouraged you to have a Bible reading plan for 2022. Y'all got a plan for next year, right? Psalms and Proverbs. <laughs> so my plan is Psalms and Proverbs. And Victor asked me this morning, are you, are you going to pre- pre- present a chart for us like you did last year? Well, my answer was, if you can do the math, it's pretty simple. Five chapters of Psalms every day. So tomorrow's the third. So by the time the third's over, you should have read through chapter 15. Very good, Sherry. So, one chapter of Proverbs, five chapters of Psalms, and you'll get there. So, if you want to read along with me, that's my plan. If you've got another plan, my wife always has another plan, that's cool. Whatever your plan is, the most important thing is what? Read. Read, read, read. I understand there's been a major accident out on the street in front of our church here on Foster Road. I don't know anything more about it than that, whether there's police. serious injury and whether anyone, I don't know. I see police out there. But the police are out there. And so, I just want to conclude our time. Let's just pray together for these folks that are involved, and then uh, we'll go to our business meeting. Lord, you certainly know about all the details of this accident that's happened right out here in front of our church. You know who's involved, you know their needs, and we don't. And so we just want to trust you for them. We pray for uh, good decisions that are being made by medical personnel. We pray for each family that's involved and just pray that you might even use this event in their lives just to draw them to yourself, to find your comfort and your peace. And so we just want to ask your blessing for them, your blessing for these first responders. And uh, just draw near to each one with uh, what each one needs. And we'll thank you for doing that as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, save for our business time with budget. You'll get some insights there as we go forward into 2022.